three, two, one. Chance that A, you will not make it to a D or go public, particularly in this market today where VC dollars are hard to come by. And so you have to ask yourself, do I want to play it safe? Do I want to go and take the path through FANG and know that everything's going to be laid out in front of me and there'll be very little risk? Or do I want to have the opportunity to be exposed to a lot and help build a business knowing that there's going to be a lot of things that aren't figured out? And the moment you figure something out, you plateau, there's a new problem. And so you have to be comfortable with that. I'll be honest with you, like right now, I just moved into enterprise at PAVE. We're moving up market. I went from being really comfortable and really successful, blowing out my Q4 to now like having all this self-doubt and relearning everything. And that's just the start of life. And if that's not for you, if that anxiety, that stress is gonna make you unhappy, don't do that. Excited to have you at the part, be a part of this conversation. Oh, thank you so much, Joseph. I'm excited to be here. Just to remind people that may have been here before, but may have forgotten, or if you're new to this stage, Basically, what this is going to be is we're going to talk about this journey, which is symbolic of the boots. The boots is symbolic of the journey that one takes to get to where Justin is. And the mindset or the brain is symbolic of the mindset that someone needs to have in order not to only be where Justin is, but to scale from there. With that being said, let's talk about your journey growing up in New York in the house. Let's talk about it. Can you tell us about what it was like growing up in New York? Yeah, yeah, that was where I spent most of my adolescence. I left New York when I was like eight or nine, but I think it definitely formed me in a very noticeable way. I think my entire family actually emigrated from Belize and grew up in the Bronx. My mom still lives in the Bronx today. So I think it, it gave me a lot of perspective, just my early childhood spent there. And then when we moved to California, it was like a complete culture shock for me. My, my dad actually was a single dad for most of my childhood and then remarried. So by the time I was like 12, we had gone from living in New York to living in San Francisco to living in, in Palo Alto. So it was just like a very different sort of socioeconomic experience. Nine years old. That's just such a pivotal year too. Yeah. And you, which part of New York did you specifically grow up in? Uh, from the Bronx, like over by Fordham Road area. Woo, boogie down Bronx. Yeah. I had a friend that went to Fordham University. So definitely know about that. So transitioning from the Bronx, New York, and going into to Cali, that's quite a change. Can you talk about the different experiences you went through and the different transitions that you had going from those two environments? Yeah, for sure. When we first moved from New York to San Francisco, it wasn't too different. I was still living in like a multi-generational household. I went to a public school, but it was really when my dad remarried to a woman who was an attorney. So I went from being broke for most of my childhood to all of a sudden being like very wealthy, very comparatively speaking. I mean, it was like, for me at least, that's how it felt, right? I felt like overnight, they, my entire life changed. And uh, when I went to school, I think what the most shocking thing was for me is like, I just, I felt like such an outsider. I had never been to a school where I was like the only brown kid in my class or certainly the only African-American kid. And it was, it was just, I think I, I had a tough time adapting. And in a lot of ways, I lost a lot of my confidence. I think for a long period of time, I had a great deal of imposter syndrome that came from that, both in like my own intelligence, my own like physical appearance. Like I just had so much self-doubt as a result of being thrown into that environment. Yeah, it, it is tough. I'd spoke about this before in an interview that I had with someone and I, my parents, they basically, they started a home for street children in Diana, South America. And so my experience was very different moving from the Brooklyn, New York, going to what was considered a third world country, especially at that time. 
and how I went to an American school with the wealthiest of the nation, diplomats and all these different people. But then I went to home to the marginalized, those that were children that were digging out of garbage cans and trying to been through all sorts of forms of abuse. And then I'm in the middle and you kind of find yourself in that world. And you're like, man, I don't, I don't feel like I exist anywhere. Can you talk a little bit more about the imposter syndrome and the, the ramifications of it or the symptoms of it? Because some people might be saying, I don't even know what a imposter syndrome looks like in my case. Can you talk yeah. a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, imposter syndrome essentially is where you are just filled with a lot of self-doubt. You know what I mean? And I think that the reason why that sort of change of environment brought that about was, I don't know if you're like a fan of James Baldwin, but he talks about when he was a kid and he would watch movies with like cowboys and Indians, he envisioned himself as a cowboy, right? Or when he watched Superman, he envisioned himself as Superman. And it wasn't until he got older that he started to realize, oh, I'm the Indian or I'm the bad guy. And it kind of was backed up by like the, there's a, the Keith and Mamie Clark doll experiment talks about kids internalizing that very young. When I was growing up in the Bronx, I was considered very intelligent, right? I went to school and I took a test and people put me in the advanced class and made me feel like I was good looking, made me feel like I was smart. And then suddenly you go to live in a white environment. It's like, you're cute for a black guy, right? Little things like that, those sort of microaggressions make you, so even when you are feeling yourself, you have that little piece in the back of your mind and it's like, oh, but I'm not that great. They're like, I used to be so like, want to raise my hand in class and say the answer. And even when I knew the answer, I wouldn't raise my hand because I was afraid I was wrong. And I never had that kind of a fear in the early part of my childhood. It wasn't until I found myself in an environment where I was other that I began to feel that constantly and really internalize it. Yeah. And it's a sad reality, but it's the way that we're made, that we're made to adapt to our surroundings sometimes. And what that causes us to do oftentimes with imposter syndrome, and I've had this happen to me, we become a caricature of ourselves. We're not really our authentic selves. We're not really fully ourselves. We're just a piece or a portion of it. And that could lead to, to, to allowing us to really shrivel down and minimize who we are that could allow to code switching and other things that other people may be wrestling with. Have you dealt with code switching? If so, could you talk a little bit more about that as well? Absolutely. I speak many different sort of, of languages, uh, different dialects of English, if you will. I think the way that I talk with my homies when I'm in New York or my homies when I'm in Texas or when my homies back in the Bay, they're all different. And there's all kinds of things that I would say casually that I could never say at work just because it's just not the right place. Right. And I think also it comes back to that imposter syndrome piece. Like I'm like hypervigilant about my grammar and the way that I speak, because as a kid, I would feel like any time that I messed up speaking that people would think I was stupid. Uh, I felt like I didn't have the room. So I was just hypervigilant about it. And I also got to this place where I just felt like I don't want anyone to discount me or have any reason to do that. And so, yeah, that, that's where I, I think I focused so much on reading a lot when I was young, I have a broad vocabulary, being able to articulate myself well. And yeah, the way that I talk in a work environment or an experience like this is vastly different than I would speak with different friend groups, depending on who they are. Yeah, no, I could totally relate to that. I'm thinking about how there's times growing up where, especially because I was mixed into that Caribbean culture, they say to me, speak backwards. But on top of that, I was like, maybe I have some issues as well with dys dyslexia because my it's not necessarily a written situation. It's more of an understanding and speaking 
And so I had to learn to, okay, slow down, Joe, because their brain is running like 50 miles an hour. You got to put your words together. And so conversations like that actually helped me, these conversations. So it's but it's amazing, the little things that we have to do and pick up as a person of color in this world, a lot of times other groups don't have to think about it. And so that that definitely is a reason why talking about tech and tech sales is so passionate to me. Because I feel as a group, we have not necessarily had the opportunity to enter this space until more more recently. And I could be wrong, but I mean, in, on a mass level in regards to how, how many people are learning and discovering this space. And so we're going to get to that about your story, because I'm curious about that and how you broke into tech or how you pivoted into tech. But let's talk about your high school years. So in high school, who was Justin? <laughs> Man, I think that was probably the peak of me being the furthest away from my true self, honestly. I think we moved to Texas, actually, when I was my sophomore year of high school. And I think all of those same experiences I had in Palo Alto, California, were probably exacerbated. I went to a private school and it was just, yeah, like I just did not feel like myself ever. I was always trying to please, like, to your point, I was like a caricature of myself. I was the person people expected me to be. I think I was very much like a class clown, right? Because that was my shtick, right? I'm funny, right? And I leaned into that so hard. And I think I I started to like really have trouble in school. Like I was a stellar student until about 15. And then I became like a very mediocre student. And then by the end of my high school career, like a poor student. I think high school me was just really trying to find himself and not doing a good job of that. You said something that I thought was very powerful. I was thinking about this conversation, this interview that Will Smith had with Martin Lawrence at the Breakfast Club. They were promoting Bad Boys 3. And he basically said the Fresh Prince was one person. That was a person that opened doors with him and Quincy Jones to actually have the show. That that version of himself is what kind of created so many opportunities. But he tried to take that version of himself and take it to him as an adult and it like who is this person and so he had to have i wouldn't say a midlife crisis but he had a kind of a reevaluate man my imposter syndrome looks a little bit different it's basically taking the fresh prince and trying to bring him to a 40 50 year old man where that's not going to work i need to be will smith and arrive in this situation because it's actually causing me to lose opportunities and lose different things and so when you mentioned about being a character caricature of yourself it made me think of, wow, we all have this identity, not crisis, but identity kind of evaluation to do. And so with that being said, who has bigger identity? Where's the best place to do that? College. So when you went, did you go to college and did you take that opportunity to get yourself at that particular time? I went to a few colleges. <laughs> I, I started out at University of Texas, San Antonio. I was in what was called the CAP program at the time. You could go straight transfer to UT Austin if you had a 3.5 GPA. I ended up dropping out my first semester. I moved home. I actually worked at a gas station for six months. I did it to piss off my mom because it was up the street. She made me get a job. And so all the neighbors could come and have me fill up their gas. She loved that. But I basically, then I was like, all right, I'm going to go back to school. I went back to San Jose State. I was there for about a year and then didn't work out for me. I like kept changing my major. And then I, after that, I bounced around a few community colleges. And then by the time I was in my mid-20s, I was just working three minimum wage jobs. I was living in my aunt's basement. It was really looking pretty bleak, honestly. I'd say it was around then where I started to find myself. It wasn't really the college years for me. It was like the mid-20s and actually transitioning into tech that started to make me change, I think, like my perception of myself. 
Hey there, thank you so much for watching this video. This video is actually sponsored by Course Careers. So whether you're interested in breaking in as a tech sales representative, if you're interested in actually doing IT or digital marketing, not only do they have free introductory courses for you right now, go to the description and check that out, but they also have $50 off that you could get from, through me, Joseph50. That's right, $50 off through Joseph50. So if you're interested in getting into that course, any which one, whether it's, again, tech sales, IT, or digital marketing, look no further. Go down to the description below, click on the link, and sign up right now. What are you waiting for? Let's talk about that then, the mid-20s. What specifically happened around that time that made you change and have a paradigm shift where you're thinking and finding yourself in that particular period of time? They always say it's darkest before dawn, right? This was like a low point in my life. Like you think about when you're in your mid twenties, all your friends you went to high school with, the ones who are doing well are now like getting off of an MBA program and getting their first six figure job where they're like already at like Deloitte or Ernst & Young or in law school or something. So you're naturally comparing yourself to your peers. And here I am like living in my aunt's basement. I'm watching her kids part-time working at this tennis club. And it was just like, I remember like calling my dad all the time, like crying, like, asking like I feel like I have so much potential and it's being wasted and working at the tennis club was the first time I was exposed to the idea of tech because there were all these young kids coming in and I could see their bill when they swipe their cards a lot I could see how much they owe and how much they're charging for the courts and for the food I'm like dude owes three grand this month like, what do you do and I'm like what do you do like oh I'm a product manager at Google or I'm an I'm an SDR I'm an AE I'm a I'm marketing and I'm like looking this up and I'm like trying to understand this world and at the time someone had told me to check out AngelList and that is where I started applying for jobs with no direction whatsoever. I, I ended up like moving from the front desk of the tennis club to selling memberships. And when I was selling memberships, is when I realized I was good at sales. And that's when I realized I wanted to get into tech. And I was just like throwing spaghetti at the wall. Wow. So when you pivoted into tech, obviously you transitioned to sales. So you started to see some money from that. But you're like, I still want this tech sales money. What? How did you land a job in tech sales? It's funny, actually. So I applied to a couple hundred jobs through AngelList because I don't know if you've ever used it, but it's like LinkedIn where you could upload your resume, you click to apply. So you could apply in mass. And one of the only two companies that actually called me in was GetAround. You ever heard of GetAround? It's a car sharing company. Yeah. But automated. They were like a baby company at the time. They had one small office in SF. And uh, this guy, Gagan Palrecha, who's now one of, still one of my mentors today, he later told me that the only reason that we brought you in for the second interview was because you kept calling because they didn't tell me no. And so I was like, hey, just checking in. And he's, you're literally doing the job. So it's the persistence is there. Come in. And we ended up doing another, like a four round interview. And the reason I got the job, because it was split. Two people want to say no, two said yes. One of these guys used to work in action sports sales. And back in the day, I used to sell at Zoomies. And I was, Zoomies like a skateboard shop in the mall. And mm -hmm. I put on my resume that I was like a top 100 seller, which he knew what that meant. Because he had worked in action sports. He's like, this guy could sell. And he yeah. advocated for me and I got that job by the skin of my teeth and haven't looked back. Wow. Wow. That shows you that you just need to have an advocate sometimes because somebody advocated for you. I think I got this job that I'm working at right now because somebody advocated for me, whether it was a recruiter or whoever it was. But it, that's so good because you obviously show them you could do the job. And then I think that's missing from a lot of people is, hey, do the job to get the job. 100%. I tell people all the time when looking for a job, you need to do the SDR motion while you look for a job. So good. So good. So how was your experience working there as an SDR? That must have been fun. <laughs> it 
It was great. And, you know, actually, it was so when I first started, there was actually B2C. So we weren't even like in a traditional tech sales role because I was calling individuals to try to convince them to put their car into the platform. So it was like super high volume. We're making hundreds of calls a day. And it was through that experience that I like, I mentioned like how this is where I started to align myself. This is where I first started to really find confidence. Cause like in school, I knew I was smart, high test scores, did well in the SAT, but was always flunking class. Right. Yeah. And I think later, like I now realize I probably have undiagnosed ADHD. My brother and my sister have it, but mm -hmm. in any case, like I always felt like I was capable of things, but I was never validated of my capabilities. And this mm -hmm. was the first experience Like I'm around these people who are in my eyes, like people who I would be intimidated by people who went to Stanford and Berkeley and they're engineers and they're building product, but I'm making all the money. You know what I mean? And like, I'm realizing I'm really good at this thing. That's really valuable to all these people. And it just, and made me realize that it just gave me this sense of purpose and confidence that I had never had up to that point. Wow. And I agree with you. My confidence when I started doing solar sales, definitely i was like i can pick up a phone and call you no worries i'm good all right let's do this because after going through ten thousand calls or plus fifteen thousand calls in my case you're like yeah this feels comfortable you understand talking to people you understand how to pivot especially when it's all you have is their voice you're not even looking at them you're not even, it, it's a definitely a skill that will allow you to feel a confidence or a purpose and it's funny that you mentioned that, like, literally, you're making more money than <laughs> some of the engineers and people that are working to actually build the software. That's hilarious to me because it's the truth. There's so many people in sales that are doing that. Yeah. And so uh, with that being said, how was your transition? Because you're not at SDR any longer. Can you talk about your transition and your promotion and how that looked? Yeah, so I was at Get Around for three years. And when I started there, I was doing this, like, B2C sales motion. I actually realized that there was a B2B opportunity because there were people calling who had fleets of cars that they wanted to put on under one account. And we didn't allow for that in the product at the time. And so I advocated for us to start doing what we call the power owner program, which is actually how get around ended up using this technique to scale and still have account executives now that do this motion where you're calling these people who have fleets of vehicles or companies that have fleets of vehicles that are decommissioned for whatever reason and putting those onto the platform. And so I spent a number of years doing that and growing the organization and then I actually took a year off, a couple of years actually, moved to Belize. And then when I came back, I had to be an SDR again because I had taken two years off and because my experience at Get Around wasn't traditional SaaS. And so I was an SDR at Segment selling data software for about a year before I got back into an AEC, which was crazy. That is crazy, but I'm going to have to peel the onion back on that. You said... You and let me just ask some questions. To sorry for of... dumping that on you, my bad. <laughs> huh? So sorry for dumping that on you. That was a lot. <laughs> oh, that was good though. I saw, I heard some stuff in there that I think people didn't catch that. So you said you got into get around, and you and I'm assuming this is a startup at this particular time, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm. So those that are listening, startup culture. Please listen to us when we say this. Or I'm new, so please correct me, Justin, because you obviously have more experience than I do. But I've been a part of a startup before and I didn't appreciate it. <laughs> and I left the company, I think too, too premature in my opinion, right? But if you get into a startup and you're able to provide a level of change and gain equity in the company, let me ask you this. Was that the reason why you were able to take two years off in Belize because <laughs> of what you were able to do there? Uh, yeah, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> able to i was able to put together a small nest egg and create a business with my brother we actually opened up a restaurant in belize and 
my dad is out there now. He runs that restaurant. So it's, we had 1.3 locations, but the pandemic really hurt us. So still got the one main flagship though, back in the motherland. Wow. So you, so by going to tech, you were able to not only provide alternative revenue sources, but you were able to start a family business. Yeah. Wow. Listen, this is all from him making that transition to tech, y'all. So if you're listening to this and you're saying, hey, I want to, I have a job idea. I have a, bit, a business idea, excuse me, or something that I want to do. You can leverage tech in order to do it. And let me dive a little bit deeper. Was the business that you're able to start, was that from the earnings that you made while you were working for that company? Or did that tie into the equity that you had by working at that company? It was from the, it was from the earnings and then get around an IPO recently. So that was good. Like, yeah. was like, something so, that you said actually remind me of something else, which is it's not just the money though. Tech teaches you, especially at a startup, especially in an early stage startup, how businesses work. You know what I'm saying? Like how PL works, right? Like how you like cut costs and make smart decisions. Like, you know, what it is to start to forecast growth, right? And those type of things are invaluable to anyone who wants to be an entrepreneur. I have so many friends who like all have aspirations of having their own business, but have never been part of building a business. And if you haven't been part of building a business and taken a backseat to it, it's really hard to just jump in the driver's seat without having ever been exposed to that. And that's why I think a lot of people fail in entrepreneurship without having something to build off of. Hey family, it's Joseph here again. Now you have heard me talk about how tech sales has changed my life. I actually wanna introduce you to another career that if you decide to go into it, truly is recession proof, and that is cybersecurity. Level Careers is a platform similar to Course Careers that is self-paced and allows you to obtain knowledge and education in cybersecurity, and get this, without prior experience or a degree. That's right. And so you definitely want to get into that. And if you are interested in learning more about cybersecurity, go ahead and click the link below. It's in my description and use my promo code Joseph10. That's right. Use my promo code Joseph10 in order to save 10% off of the purchase price of that course. So without further ado, I'm not going to delay you. Go click on the link, check out the free introductory courses and change your life today. Yeah. I would encourage people, and again, Justin, you could correct me if I'm wrong. If anything I'm saying, you're like, ah, let's, let's, this is a conversation. But I would encourage people that if they are looking to try to get into these big fang companies or these huge companies, now I would say look for a startup with a great CEO. I was a part of a startup and we literally had conversations with the CEO would come with all of us and say, hey, he teaches about IPATA, which is earnings before, earnings before interest tax and depreciation. Uh, and, and amortization, like those little lessons that people would pay money for to go to a, a college to gain, to learn how to become a CEO or how to run a business you're getting from a startup. And I definitely would highly encourage that, man, you, my wheels started turning when you said what you said, because it was, I thought there's a lot of nuggets in there for people like Rabat. Um, whew. Now let's pivot to when you came back and you basically started from scratch, but you did it because you had the knowledge, but yeah. you started from scratch in the sense of your position as being an SDR. How was that time around? So I was very intentional because what I kept hearing is, damn, you have a lot of experience, but it's not like the type of experience we're looking for. Or you almost might be too experienced for an SDR role. And so I started doing a lot of research and what I realized was like the creme de la creme of software sales was like this complex data space. And so I connected with a recruiter and I was like, I want to be in complex sale that has a hold in the enterprise market. Because I realized that if, first of all, 
people would hire SDRs into there who had closing experience because they knew it was much harder. Like a lot of my peers, when I started as an SDR at Segment, had previously been AEs at other kind of lower tier, more transactional sale companies. When you get into more complex sales, it's a different beast. And because I was like, all right, if I have to be an SDR and start from scratch, because nobody wants to hire me as a closer, I want to be in one of these spaces. And so I was very intentional about that. And I learned all of the traditional SaaS motion stuff at Segment. Like I still employ so much of what I learned from there. And I was exposed to some like really like excellent sellers. And so although it was a step back in terms of pay and title, I was worth it. And then once I had that on my resume, being a segment, still to this day, uh, even though it's four jobs back now, people will talk to me in an interview about segment or like at the job I work at now, there's like six, seven X segment people, because that's how it works in tech is like, you have a really successful org and then people break off to start other companies and they bring people that they knew from there. Um, and so that's why there's, if you look at segment, there's four other startups now that all have X segment people making up their founding teams. Wow. Wow. So would you encourage other people that are SDRs that feel like they want to prove themselves to try to get into a company that has a complex sales? It sounds like it has a complex uh, pipeline. Is that what you were, how you phrase it? Like, how would you phrase that? Cause I'm learning. It's, pro it's product complexity is a part of it. Cause like being able to sell what they call like a technical product, right? Where you're selling to a technical stakeholder, like an engineer, and you're having to talk about things that have a lot of nuance, right? It's not just cut and dry, like selling signature software or something like that, right? So when you get into that level of complexity, that's a part of it. But then also the complexity in terms of not every org is an enterprise org, right? Like some orgs, they mid-market is their bread and butter and it will always be. And they don't sell into companies like Fortune 50s and Fortune, Fortune 100s, right? However, when you get into an org that has a product that appeals to that segment, that now becomes a complex product and a complex process to sell it, right? You're having to multi-thread and you're having to do all these things that some sellers will never have to do. And I was like, I want to do all that hard stuff. I want to learn and be exposed to all that hard stuff so that no one can question me <laughs> about what I know how to do. You know what I mean? But I don't think it's for everybody. Okay. It's, it's do what makes you happy. You know what I mean? And I know not everyone wants to make a million dollars off of this, right? Some people are very happy making 150, 200K max. At that time in my career, I was like, I want to take this as far as I can take it. Wow. And when you said some people don't want to make a million dollars, they're like, oh, wait, I want to put my hat in there. I want to learn how to make a million dollars. It's just the level of complexity, the level of attention to detail, the level of skill that you need to have at that level. You have to be, you have to really be on top of your game. And so that's what I'm gaining from what you're saying. So that's me. I'm writing down mental notes as well. I listen back to my interviews and I'm like, okay, <laughs> note to self. So yeah, with that being said, let's pivot to talk a little bit more about how you, what was the next steps after being at segment? Like how was, yeah. what was the next things after that? I did a lot of job hopping after that, <laughs> frankly, to land to where I'm at right now. Basically when I left segment, I had learned a ton, but not enough, right? You learn something every stop, right? So I had two offers. One of them was from Fivetran, which if you're familiar, is doing quite well. And I was I had a job offer there and they were much earlier. I think they were like B or C at the time and now they're a unicorn company. The other offer was from this like series B finance company, but the company had $35 million investment and it had like really great backers and it, they offered me to opportunity to sell enterprise. I think it appealed to a lot of my things I wanted from my ego. And it was more money too. Whereas the other offer from five channels, like they wanted me to do an SMB role. And I was like, these people let me do enterprise big mistake, right? Because I didn't look 
I didn't do enough due diligence. Mm. They, didn't, they didn't have a CRM and their CEO was filtering all their leads before they got distributed. And it was just like, I, there were things that were happening there that I didn't think could happen at a company with C backing. And it was just a really not a great experience for me as a seller because there was no support. There was no enablement. There was no real opportunity to better myself. And so I left from there and went in, into another AE role, which was actually really great at with Chili Piper, the scheduling software. And I was helped start their enterprise motion there. And so that was like where I started to cut my teeth and actually start closing deals in a traditional SaaS motion for the first time. Wow. Somebody's going to look at this and say, hindsight is twenty twenty. How would you have known that Five Train was going to be as exceptional a company as it was? Were there some signs that you were able to look back at now and say, yeah, those signs I ignored, but those were the signs that anybody should look at when they're trying to figure out a company to go after. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. So I have a seven-step process. I don't have it all committed to memory, but I'll tell you the ones that I do remember. First of all, looking at the growth, if I had looked at Five Trans Growth, it's a hockey stick. If I had looked at another company, it was actually flattening out and maybe even had been going down because they had to let some people go. The other piece too is you can look at growth by department. And when you see a lot of sales growth that's outpacing like engineering and product growth, that's a bad sign because a lot of times what that means is that the company is just going to throw bodies at a problem. They're actually planning for none of these AEs to hit and for everyone to average about 50% to hit the company goal. And then they know it, knowing that they're not, they're not trying to compete and be the best product in the space. So mm. that's one thing to look at too. And then looking also at the investors and the types of organizations they've invested in previously is this vertical that investors like bread and butter, or is this kind of an offshoot for them? Are they going to be invested in this company? And so there's a number of different things you can look at. And I think also the sales leadership, the sales leaders experience and what they have done previously is huge. And I just didn't think about those things at that time. Had I looked at any of those, I would have made a better decision. Wow. Wow. And do you have a seven step process anywhere available to people? Or do you have an ebook or? I need to start doing stuff like that, but I have a, I made a LinkedIn post about it a while back, but I'll, I'll, I'll share it with you if you want to link it at some point when you share this. Yeah. Listen, I, I love it for myself, but I want to share it with the people like that. I think that is a lot of people, a lot of SDRs that my audience are people that come from course careers that are coming from tech boot camps and are trying to find their space in this place of tech. And so for things like that, they're really at this evaluation stage. Most people say nowadays, just get into tech. But if you can take the time to find a really good tech company that will take you on and you could grow with them, like Fivetrain, I think that might be a good idea to try to, to do that. Would you say it's a good idea to really aim for that oh, in the beginning? I think I think that trying to have one like super high growth, like really well-known company on your resume makes a tremendous difference. I had, like I mentioned, the, like the logo, like why do people put X whatever on their LinkedIn, right? X Google, X this, X that. Because it carries a certain connotation that, whoa, you are a part of something, all right? And if you look at the different sort of factors of the company, the thing is, let me back here a little bit. You have to ask yourself, do you, how, there's like a balance of risk and reward. So yeah. if you're looking at a seed or an A series, A stage company, that is the most risk with the highest reward. Because the equity that you'll receive at that stage of company could make you rich if that company is successful, but the mm. failure rate is 50% at each of those stages. So there's mm. a high chance that A, you will not make it to a D or go public, particularly in this market today where VC dollars are hard to come by. And so you have to ask yourself, do I want to play it safe? Do I want to go and take the path through a fang? 
and know that everything's going to be laid out in front of me and there'll be very little risk? Or do I want to have the opportunity to be exposed to a lot and help build a business knowing that there's going to be a lot of things that aren't figured out. And the moment you figure something out, you plateau, there's a new problem. And so you have to be comfortable with that. I'll be honest with you. Like right now, I just moved into enterprise at PAVE. We're moving up market. I went from being really comfortable and really successful, blowing out my Q4 to now like having all this self-doubt and relearning everything. And that's just the startup life. And if that's not for you, if that anxiety, that stress is going to make you unhappy, don't do that. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people like, especially when you come from, and I'm not trying to throw any shade, but we've all been conditioned when it comes to being, having an employee mindset versus having an ownership mindset. And I think that when you're in a startup company, and from my experience, you have to have an ownership mindset from the top down, not just the person that's the CEO, but the person that is working as an SDR. You have to own what you're doing. You have to look at it and say, hey, this isn't work. We need to fix this and that. And you actually could have a voice to a higher up that'll be like, oh, you know what? Let's try it. Especially if it's that, that desperate. At least from my experience, there's things when I was working in a startup tech company years ago that I was able to like institute and it was known as a Joseph method. It was a simple thing. It wasn't even anything so, right? Like you, you will live on. Your name is an infamy because that's small a thing. That's amazing. It, and it was a little thing. If I tell you right now, you probably laugh out loud, but it was a little thing. However, that thing, because I was temping with the company, that's what called me back, called them back to have me on full, full, on full time. And so I just want to encourage people that are listening to this, be the agent of change in a startup company. If you get hired, be that agent of change and you'll be surprised to see how well things can go for you if you do that. Man, this is so good. This is so rich. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, did you want? Did you have anything you wanted to say right now? Because I know I'm going and flowing, but no, you know, I just wanted to add one thing to what you were saying. It, yes. it, it's in you want to incite change, and the way that you do that is and also make yourself stick out amongst your peers. Is everyone can find a problem at a startup? It's riddled with problems, and yeah. everyone likes to complain and be like, act like they're a genius for spotting a problem. Duh, we all know about that. Come with the solution. And that is what, because everyone knows about the problem. So if you're constantly espousing the problems, you are a problem. What you Mm -hmm. need to do is say, I noticed this. Here's three potential ways I think we could solve it. I tested this. Here's some data. That's how you get promoted. That's right. That's right. right. Bring the solutions. Yes. Be the agent of change and bring the solutions. This is exactly what is needed. Oh, man. So you went through that learning experience. And I think you went ahead too, which I'm cool with that. I like that. You went to pave, you're paved now, right now. Yeah. And you're saying it's a little, oh, should I say that word? Is volatile a good word? I don't know if that's the right word. It's, I would say it's volatile. It's, it's, trust me, I've been in, in companies where volatile would be the appropriate word. I would say it's just challenging because it's challenging yeah. for me personally because I'm moving into a different segment. Yeah. And selling in one segment is very different than selling in another, particularly like, where we're, we're pushing up into that segment. We're at the stage now where we haven't like necessarily gone out and taken over it like we have with others. And so there's a lot of ambiguity and there's a lot of collaboration that takes place. And it just, like I said, it's fun and it's rewarding, but it's just, it's tough when you come off of, I just figured out the last thing and I just got good at that. And now it's okay, freshman year all over again. I just graduated. And then you start over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, man. And yeah, this is going to be fun. Oh, man. Let me ask you this. 
as we're pivoting to the mindset, I think you talked a lot about it. What would you say is the mindset one needs to have in order to be just where you are right now, but also to scale from there and to grow? Lose your ego, I think is number one. You, there's always opportunity to learn. And anytime my ego gets too big, it, fate comes around and just deflates me. And, I, and it's a constant reminder that the best thing to do is like always be a student of the game. You know what I'm saying? When it comes to sales. And, and then I think the other piece too is just, you know, this sounds a little cliche. And I think a lot of people don't necessarily like when people say this, but work your ass off. You know what I mean? Like really the thing is like, you have to be, especially of color, especially if you're coming out of a boot camp and you're not coming with the pedigree. Is no one will admit it to you, but people are already thinking you're not going to come out and perform like others. I already knew anytime I got hired, I barely got hired. And that put a chip on my shoulder. And that chip on my shoulder made me come in early, stay late, blow out quotas. Like, I didn't want to just be, like, one of the best. I wanted to be number one and two was down here. That was always my goal. I wanted to, like, outshine so, so that you could not doubt me. And I feel that's the kind of, that's the kind of attitude you got to come with, particularly in sales, like, it's a sport. You know what I mean? It is. It's like, it takes a lot of training. It takes a lot of commitment. And so I think just always be learning and just always be working hard. You know what I mean? Always be learning. Yeah. Outlearn those around you. Like yeah. they may be settled. They may be cool and Hey, I'm good. I'm doing whatever. But if you could read some books, I learned that I was listening to Kevin Dorsey speak about that. And he said, I'll learn those around you. That's why he's like the youngest SVP and in the rooms that he's in or the youngest yeah. person, I should say in the rooms that he's in. And so that is such a key to growth. And man, Justin, this has been a great conversation. I could keep talking. I really can because there's so much. I, there's, we could even talk about the other stuff too. But with that, with that being said, man, we really had a really good conversation. And those that are watching, those that are listening, if you really love what you heard, like I said earlier, of course you want to and you want to subscribe to the channel for more. But also use the comment section as your personal notebook. Write down things that you heard things that you like about and you go back and check later, just write it down because what you're going to do is you're going to retain the information. You have a place to go to. And on top of that, you're going to help somebody else see something that they did not see themselves. Right? So thank you so much family for joining me. And like always until next time, I hope to see you on the other side. Take care now.